morning. I love that line. You don't even have to drink coffee to receive care from this ministry. You do have to drink coffee in order to receive the benefits of caffeine, perhaps in the morning, but not to receive the benefits of that ministry. Well, friends, it's so good to be here worshiping our Lord together. Uh, we are reminded every time that we come here that this, this is the day that the Lord has made. And we, we've gathered in order to rejoice and to be glad in Him and to be glad in this day. And we're thankful for it. Uh, before we get to the message today, I want to make a personal announcement. I don't do that very often. Uh, but the church has granted to me a five-and-a-half-week study break this winter. And so there will be a period of time uh, just before the new year where Erica and I go away for five and a half weeks and I'm going to take three intensive classes over the course of that time. We won't be around here. We will be somewhere slightly warmer than here while I take those classes. Uh, and then we will be back early in February, and I'm hoping that these classes will benefit uh, my ministry here for years to come. But wanted to let you know that just so that when January rolled around, you weren't like, where, where is that guy? Like, what's going on? Does he work here anymore? Uh, and so, yes, I do work here, uh, and I will be, if you want to pray for me, um, there's a lot of memorization that's going to have to be done. I'm going to be taking three intensive Greek classes because I will say in the 28 years since I have taken Greek, uh, it is almost all gone at this point. I like to think that I pretend up here pretty well about what I understand and know, and, and there are some people who do know what they're talking about who help me, but I want to get to the point where I can interact on a scholarly level with those things again uh, as well. So looking forward to going away and being a part of that. Our Christmas series is called God Is, and we are looking at the attributes of God that are most plainly seen in the coming of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. Well, what did we look at last week? We looked at the fact that God is Sovereign. Do you remember that? God is sovereign. And what are we going to look at today? Today, we are going to look at the fact that God is just and merciful. That's right. I am getting two attributes of God in there today, two for the price of one. For those of you who have any concern, I just want to clear up the message will not be twice as long as normal just because we are covering two attributes today. But as we look at this, immediately it seems to us that. God's justice and His mercy can't work together. I mean, if God is just, can He be merciful? If God is merciful, can He be just? Is that even possible? And what we're going to see today is that God's justice and mercy are true at the same time, and they are perfectly true in the coming of Jesus Christ. What, what do we mean when we say God is just? Well, part of what we mean when we say that God is just is that every wrong will be completely and properly punished. He is a judge. And as the judge, every wrongdoing will be completely and properly punished by a perfectly just judge. Colossians 3.25 says, For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. God is a judge who always does what is just, and that means that every sin and every wrong 
will be completely and properly punished. And it is really good news that God is just because it means that he endows his creation with a sense of justice. Think about what would be true if God was not just. If God was not just, then there would be no endowment of justice within his creation. There would be no sense of right and wrong. There'd be no hope that ultimately what is good would be rewarded and what is wrong would be punished. Uh, Kindness might be the action du jour one day and murder the action du jour the next. And there'd be no sense of right and wrong in that because justice wouldn't exist. But because he is just, he has endowed his creation with a sense of justice. That isn't to say that we always live in just ways. But because our God is just, there is ultimate hope that good will win and that what is wrong will be punished. That is based in his justice. That's great news for the universe because he has endowed his creation with a sense of what is just. But it's really hard news for me. Really hard news for me because, uh, friends, uh, I'm sinful. If God is just and must always punish that which is wrong, that which is sinful, that which is rebellious, uh, that is bad news for me because when I look at my life, I can see a lot of sin and a lot of wrong. As I look back over the course of my life, I can see at various times lying, cheating, stealing. I can see pride, arrogance. I can see covetousness, lust. I can see gossip. I can see grumbling. I I could go on like this for a while. There's a long list of the sin and wrong in my life. And if God is just, and if that means that every wrong and every sin will be completely and properly punished, then that is bad news for me. Uh, God has declared what the appropriate punishment for sin is. He actually declared it in the garden before the first sin ever occurred. He told Adam and Eve how they were to live. He made them in order to live his way. And then he said, if you deviate from that, if you choose to rebel against me, if you choose to live in your own way rather than my way, the punishment for that is going to be death. Right? God is life. You're going to be separated from the one who is life. And the punishment will be death. Creates a personal problem for me because, uh, like Adam and Eve, I also am sinful. I also have rebelled against God. Consider Adam and Eve's rebellion, my rebellion, uh, in, in light of heaven. God, who is perfect in all that he does, completely holy, almighty, majestic, the Lord of angel armies makes these creatures out of the dirt. And he endows these creatures with life for his purposes and his pleasure. And he showers upon them his goodness and his love. And then he says to these creatures of the dirt, live according to your maker's way. It's what's best for you. And the creatures look at almighty, majestic, holy God. And these creatures from the dirt say to him, you know what? We're going to go ahead and live our own way. Thank you anyway. And they rebel against their God. Right? At, at this point, 
A just God cannot say, this is wrong, this is the punishment for that wrong, and then say, eh, let's just ignore it. A just God must punish according to the punishment he has set aside for what is wrong. And he told Adam and Eve, that punishment is death. And the same is true for me and the sins that I have in my life. It is said throughout the scripture, Romans 6, 23a says, for the wages of sin is death. We're going to get to the second half of that verse in a little bit. But for the first half, I just want us to see, no, what is rightfully mine because of the sin and the rebellion in my life is separation from God and the pouring out of his punishment upon me because of the sin in my life. The wages of sin is death. What are our wages? They're what we're due for what we have done. Right? So if, if I have a contract with the Peterson family in order to watch their dog. You guys don't even have a dog, right? Okay, perfect. Uh, to watch their dog. And they are going to pay me $100 an hour in order to watch their dog. And I watch their dog for 10 hours. They owe me $1,000, right? Isn't that, isn't that, aren't those my wages? We contracted for $100 an hour. I watched for 10 hours. That's $1,000. They are very generous to their dog watchers for their dog that does not exist. Right? What are our wages? They're what we're due for what we have done. And what God has said is what you are due for what you have done, sin, that's death. That's separation from God who is the source of all spiritual life. Our souls are dead because of our sin. The justice of God creates a real problem for me because I've sinned before a holy and righteous and almighty God. But there's hope in the mercy of God, right? The mercy of God is spoken of in the scripture over 360 times. 360 times the mercy of God is talked about in the scriptures. What is the mercy of God? Mercy is when we don't get the punishment that we rightfully deserve. When we don't get the punishment that we rightfully deserve. So when David sins, and commits adultery with Bathsheba, and has her husband Uriah killed, and he comes to this great psalm of repentance, Psalm 51, because he has recognized his wrongdoing. He cries out, have justice on me, O God. Right? No, there's no hope in that, is there? Right? That's why you laugh. There's no hope in the justice of God for David. What he has done is wrong. He deserves punishment for that, and so he cries out, have mercy on me, O God. Oh God, according to your steadfast love, according to your overflowing mercy, right? Overflowing the cup is the idea here. Your abundant mercy blot out my transgressions. There's no hope for him in God's justice. He knows where his hope is. His hope is in the mercy of God. Jeremiah is writing the book of Lamentations at a time when the people of Israel have rebelled against God, Worshipped idols, they're sacrificing their children to false gods. And as he looks around at all of this and the punishment that God has brought upon them because of this, he says, there's a ray of hope. What is that ray of hope? You know, right? You know. But this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. 
The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. What is his hope? The hope of the sinful people is that the steadfast justice of... Nope, that's not it, is it? Right, The steadfast love of the Lord. His justice is new every morning. No, his mercies are new every morning. That's the hope. The hope is that his mercies are new every morning. The hope is that his mercy is what will drive the actions of God towards us. And so we see here, God is just and God is merciful. And we ask again, how is that possible? Right? How is that possible? If God is just, then he must rightly and completely punish sin. If God is merciful, then he doesn't want to punish me completely for my sin. How do these two things go together? Ugh. We may try and solve this conundrum by removing one of the attributes of God. Uh, well, I like his mercy a whole lot better than his justice. And so, let's just say that God sets his justice aside at times in order to be merciful to us. Right? That, that's one solution that some people are driven to here. To say, I, I, I don't want God's justice in certain situations, so let's just say that it goes away at times. And that he's only merciful during certain times. This is, by the way, how Allah works within Islam. In order to be merciful to an individual within Islam, Allah just forgets any justice in that moment. Takes any wrongdoing and any punishment that was fair because of that wrongdoing and sweeps it under the rug and says, nope, in this moment I will be merciful and I will not be just. Right? The God of the Bible does not operate that way. If he has an attribute, he is always operating within that attribute. He doesn't just say, well, I'm not going to be just for a while. He is just. He is always just. He is merciful. He is always merciful. The living God does not just set one of his attributes aside. Imagine what we would think of him if he did. Imagine if a murderer went through your neighborhood and took victim after victim of people that you knew and then went and stood in the courtroom. They were caught, went and stood in the courtroom, confessed to all of the, the terrible and heinous crimes that they had committed. And the judge said, you know, I don't feel like we should do anything with you today. You're free to go. Today's not a justice day. Get out of here. Right? What would happen in that situation? People would call for that judge to be removed. And if it happened over and over again, society would fall apart. Because it depends upon justice being done in those situations. God is just. He's always just. He has to see justice done. Sin must be punishment, punished. But in mercy... God wants us to not have to pay the penalty for the sins that we have committed. How does this work? Right? How can God be just and merciful? The answer, of course, is in the gospel. God's justice and his mercy are perfectly mingled together in the coming of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. 
as a sacrificial lamb in order to take the punishment that we deserved so that punishment could be poured out as justice demands, but not upon us so that we might receive mercy. God does not set aside wrongdoing and say, let's just forget about it. Let's just sweep it under the rug. That wrongdoing, the punishment that it deserves, let's just sweep it under the rug and pretend it never happened. Right? God punished my sin completely and totally. Every bit of punishment that my sin deserved was poured out upon Jesus on the cross. That is precisely what Colossians 2 verses 13 and 14 teach us. It's such a beautiful passage. Look at this. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. You're dead, now you're alive with him. Having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. What is the picture in these verses? That there is a ledger of all of the sins you've ever committed. Right? And what a full ledger mine is. Right? Think about that for a moment. The ledger of all of the sins that you have ever committed. But in the actions of Christ, that is forgiven. How is it forgiven? The, the legal debt is canceled, right? God is crossing out every one of those wrongdoings. Is he crossing them out and just pretending they never happened? Nope, he is taking that, setting it aside from you, and nailing it instead to the cross of Christ. What is it that was attached to the cross in Jesus' day? Right? It was the wrongdoing for which that criminal was being executed. So when Jesus was executed on the cross, what is it that hung over him? Right? King of the Jews. And the Jews came and said, no, no, can you switch it please? So it says he claimed to be the king of the Jews. And Pilate said, no, what I've written, I've written. But what was on the cross over the criminal that was being executed was the crime for which they were dying. And what this passage is saying is, you have been forgiven. Every sin has been blotted out in that journal. Not because God just swept it under the rug, but because justice was done and all of that punishment was poured out upon Christ on the cross. Every bit of it was poured out upon him. I now stand forgiven and experiencing the mercy of God, but it is because Jesus paid the legal price on my behalf, not because God set his justice aside and just decided to sweep some things under the rug and say, let's just pretend that never happened. And so God's justice and his mercy are mingled together completely and totally in the work of Christ. That's why Romans 3, 26 says, uh, it's been walking through the gospel in Romans 3, and we get to verse 26, and it says, it was to show his righteousness at this present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. It didn't seem possible that justice and mercy could both stand together in our lives. But this passage says, no, in the work of Jesus Christ, it's possible for justice and mercy to be together so that God is just and he is the justifier. 
He is just because he will perfectly punish all sin. For the person who rejects the substitution of Jesus Christ, that sin will be punished on them. Right? In what we refer to as hell. For the person who, through faith, accepts the substitution of Jesus Christ into their life, that sin is punished on Christ, on the cross. And so every sin is perfectly punished. And so in the gospel, God is just. But he's not just just, he's also merciful and he is the justifier. What does that mean? The root of that word for justifier is the same as the root of the word for righteous. And it's a word that was used legally to be declared righteous within the Roman courtroom. You've been declared righteous because God swept all of your sins under the rug and said, let's pretend that never happened. Nope. No, you've been declared righteous because Christ on the cross took all of the guilt and all of the punishment that you rightfully deserved upon himself. Right? The, the judge himself took all of that, that guilt and that punishment for you so that now you can be declared righteous with the righteousness of Christ. That, that's the great trade of the gospel. He takes your guilt and your punishment and you receive the righteousness of Christ credited to your account so that God is both just and the justifier. Right? He, he's just and merciful in our lives. That's the good news. Let me, let me share with you a, a silly illustration that, that hopefully helps this uh, come home for us. When my kids were little, uh, my son was maybe eight, my daughter was nine. On a Saturday, we got up to have a, a late brunch uh, because there, there was a time many years ago when I could sleep in. And so we were going to have a, a late brunch on a Saturday. And as we did... We were in the kitchen, and my son was being mean to his mom. And, and I said to my son, I mean, he, he could be a, a handful back then, back then. And I said to my son, this is going to stop now. You're not going to be mean to your mother anymore. And if you choose to disobey me, you are going to spend this really nice summer's afternoon inside cleaning your room, right? When my son was young, his room was a, often a big enough mess that it would take an entire afternoon to clean it. And no sooner had I said that than my son looked at his mom, looked at me, and chose to disobey me immediately and go back to that card and be mean to his mom again. And so I said, okay, go to your room. You're spending the afternoon in your room, cleaning your room instead of hanging outside and playing with your friends. He went upstairs. I don't know that cleaning commenced immediately, but after a period of time, I, I started to hear him rustling around, and I went upstairs and looked, and sure enough, he was cleaning. Now, I will tell you that I think almost every time, parents need to stick to whatever discipline they have given their kids. As a matter of fact, I'm teaching a parenting seminar here for the church on February 17th, and that is one of the primary things I'm going to be saying as we talk about disciplining our kids. Stick with your discipline. However, 
on this particular on this particular instance, I chose to go a different direction because after about an hour and a half or two hours of being up in his room, my eight-year-old son came down, tears running down his face, and he said to me, Dad, I am really sorry for what I did. And as best I could discern, he was not saying he was really sorry that he was stuck in his room for the rest of the afternoon. He seemed to be genuinely sorry for what he had done and for the way that he had disobeyed me. And he gave me a big hug, and then he went back up into his room and began to continue to clean. Again, normally I would say, yep, stick with whatever discipline you have enacted as a parent, but on this situation I thought maybe another lesson was possible. And so I went up to his room where he was digging into one of the many piles of clothes that were on the floor. And I told him, I want you to go out and play with your friends. And he said to me, but, but Dad, I need to clean my room for what I did. And I told him, yes, your room does need to be cleaned. But I am going to come in here and I am going to clean your room and you are going to go outside and you are going to play with your friends. And he looked at me and assumed that this was a trick. <laughs> and I said, no, no, really, go outside, play with your friends, right? You could hear them out there all on their bikes, hanging out in the neighborhood. Go outside, play with your friends, and I will clean your room. He probably checked with me two or three more times to see what kind of trick was going on, which probably tells you something about the household he was raised in. <laughs> but after he checked a couple more times, he went outside, jumped on his bike, and began to ride around and hang out with his friends. And I sat there in his room and slowly uh, cleaned up all that there was to clean. And when he got back into the house, he came up to me, gave me a big hug, and we sat down and we talked about mercy. As we talked about mercy, he fully recognized what he deserved that day was to clean his room all afternoon for what he had done. But what he received instead was freedom from what he deserved, and someone else stepped in and paid that price for him. Right? That is a, a silly and small illustration of the mercy that God shows to us. What, what we deserve is to eternally be cleaning our rooms because of the sins that we have committed. But our God is just. He doesn't just say, oh, that, all that wrongdoing, let's just sweep it under the rug. No, He steps in for us. He cleans the room on our behalf so that in mercy we don't have to. And in grace, we get to experience time on our bikes with our friends. Right? We get to experience all of the pleasures of what it means to be a part of the family of God. Jesus came to earth in order to pay the punishment that we rightfully should have paid so that we might experience the great mercy of our God. So good. There's even better news in this. God's justice insists that once a sin has been paid for, it can't be charged again. Right? Read that again. God's justice insists that once a sin has been paid for, it cannot be charged again. 
What would happen if Erica paid our gas bill? And then three days later, the gas company came to me and said, are you going to pay your gas bill? I would say, no, no, I'm not going to pay the gas bill. Erica already paid it. No, no, we insist you pay the gas bill as well. What? We'd say no to that, right? Justice demands that once we have had the bill paid, that has been satisfied. It is unjust for a company to come and say, well, we know you've already paid the bill, but we'd like you to pay double. None of us would put up with that because we recognize justice demands the bill is paid, but once it is paid, it's satisfied. And Jesus has paid the bill on our sins. It has been satisfied, and it is inappropriate for anyone, it is unjust for anyone to charge us again for what Christ has rightfully paid. Uh, you may be familiar with 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. Some of you may have heard this verse hundreds of times. What does it say? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and, what's the next word? Just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We may have heard this verse a hundred times, but have you thought deeply about it and meditated on it? Why does it say that God's forgiveness depends upon His faithfulness and His justice? Shouldn't this verse say, if we confess our sins, He is merciful and gracious to forgive us our sins? He's merciful and compassionate to forgive us our sins. What does it say? No, he says he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. How does his justice lead to forgiveness? The answer to that is because Christ has already paid for those sins. Therefore, it would be unjust for you to be held accountable for what Christ has already paid for. His forgiveness is intertwined with justice. And because Christ has already paid what justice demands, you now are guaranteed mercy. And so when we come and we confess our sins, we fully recognize God is faithful to His promises to forgive. And He is just, and He will not double charge for sin. And so if Christ has paid for it, we are now guaranteed the forgiveness of our sins and the cleansing from all unrighteousness. Isn't that good news? In His justice, we can experience the freedom that comes from knowing Christ took care of it. So I am clean. Praise God. That, that is what we celebrate every time we come to the Lord's table. Christ took care of it. Right? He, in, in justice has gone to the cross so that all punishment that was necessary was poured out upon him so that now I might receive the mercy of God and not be punished as my sins deserve. What goodness there is in that, and we celebrate that every time we go to the table. I want us to prepare our hearts a little bit differently as we're going to go to the table today. I, I want to invite you to just bow your heads with me, and I am going to read... Uh, the scriptures that are gospel scriptures about the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ over us as we prepare our hearts and our minds to take the bread and the cup. Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death, 
But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. Knowing that you are ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without blemish or spot. Romans 8, 1 and 2. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Colossians 1, 19 and 20. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Romans 3, 21 through 24. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 1 Peter 2.24 He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Isaiah 53, 5 and 6, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And finally, Ephesians 2, 1 through 7. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus when you're ready, I'd invite you to make your way to the table to celebrate the rich mercy of our God poured out on our behalf. You can pick up the bread and the cup and return to your seats, and I'll lead us in the taking of those elements in a few moments. Let us worship our God together.